Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Wench Bench, where friends sit and talk about fabulous fictional females and how their stories have influenced us throughout our lives. My name is Fonda. And my name is Allison. Today, Allison's going to be talking about two female characters, Rhea and Delora from the Duskwalker Brides series. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Cool. I was like, I don't remember if it's brides or wives. It's brides. <laughs> Woo, I did it. Okay. So the Duskwalker Brides, well, I'm going to give you kind of like a general idea of what this world is, of what it is that we're talking about, because it may not be up everybody's alley. Um, <laughs> these are romance books and they are of the monster variety. <laughs> Monster fuckers. Yes, monster fuckers. They, she has she has made me one. It is all <laughs> Opal it is all Opal Rain's fault and I love her for it. <laughs> Opal Rain's the author? Opal Rain is the author. Um she has an incredible Twitter and TikTok. Uh, on the Twitter, there's tons of pictures and fan art and it's great if you are ever curious about what these what these incredible uh, <laughs> monsters males look like. We're going to go with males. <laughs> Doesn't really classify as men. And you'll understand why soon. <laughs> she does like commission artwork and she gets, she does a bunch of stuff like that. So obviously right off the top, there is going to be discussions of a sexual nature in this, as well as discussions of things like mental health. As for any romance book, Kind of the the genre itself lends itself to a sort of worry-free kind of... You're reading these books to escape mm -hmm. and to enjoy the fantasy. And so that's a part of the reason why I enjoy reading romance books so much because you know exactly what you're getting. You're going to get a happily ever after. If you're not going to get a happily ever after and it's going to be a cliffhanger, nine times out of ten they're going to tell you that's what's going to happen. So then you're aware of what's going to happen. And you can wait if you want until the next book comes out so that you can read them both together. Like I've read multiple like duets as they're called where there's a part one and a part two. So like I like knowing what I'm getting into mm -hmm. without mm -hmm. actually having anything necessarily spoiled for me. There are also extensive trigger warnings and things like that um, to make sure that everybody is in a healthy good mind space when they're coming into these books because they can cover different things that can possibly can possibly be triggering for people in regards to what it is that goes on i personally like it when they tell me that there's no cheating because there's nothing that i hate more in a romance book than to find out that somebody cheats on somebody else and it sucks so yeah. <laughs> so things like that there's also triggers for the sexual acts that happen whether it's in the sort of like harder kink community there's a lot of triggers in regards to that. Some people take a fun approach to their um, to their trigger warning list. <laughs> I know Katie Roberts tends to have fun <laughs> listing what it is. <laughs> Opal Rain is more of an advocate for if you don't have any serious triggers, not to read the triggers because they kind of give away some stuff. Mm -hmm. I'm going to try and not give away a whole heck of a lot for the story because I want people to read them. They're good. And there's a lot in these books and I do not have the time. <laughs> there's so much in them. So the Duskwalker Brides is a series of romance novels written by Opal Rain. So far there are three and she has plans for either. I think it's four to six more. Just recently she released the cover for the next one, which I'm very excited about. It's called A Soul to Guide. So the books each have titles like the first one is A Soul to Take, and then it's A Soul to Heal, A Soul to Touch, and then the newest one that's going to be released is A Soul to Guide. 
And a lot of times the name, as well as a few other things that are on the cover, give you hints as to what it is that's going to be kind of explored inside. So the newest cover has a black elven woman woman on the cover and she kind of has like a bit of a band around her face so i think that she actually might be a blind character which would be super cool because oborain also has a lot of diversity in her main female characters which i really enjoy and she does a lot of research in regards to ensuring that she is coming at the different diverse areas with empathy and like understanding and she gets like um what are they called? Um, consultants? She gets consultants. She pays for consultants. She does all of that. The third book, which we're not going to be talking about today, is about an Asian woman. And the second book is about a fat woman with like a lot of mental health stuff, which we're going to get into. And so it's just, I love seeing diversity in all romance books because I like being able to see a little bit more of myself in those stories. And yeah, we'll, we'll talk about a whole bunch of stuff. Who but... <laughs> doesn't want to see themselves in a yeah, story? It's great. So each book follows a different pair of main characters, one woman and one Duskwalker so far. We'll see if that, if there's ever, it doesn't seem like necessarily has to be a woman, but we'll see how it goes. We'll see what happens. We will see <laughs> in the future. I will explain what a Duskwalker is. They are kind of a blend of like fantasy, but also like cottage core, which is a wild mix. <laughs> Because then you add in the monster fucking and it gets really like, it's like, this is a blend that I didn't know I needed. <laughs> and now <laughs> nothing else lives up to it. <laughs> there are certain, there are certain romance books that have just destroyed all other romance books of that like genre. Is this them. one of them for you? This is one of them. This is like one of those monster fucker books that just like. It's just on a tier all its own. And I, I let it sit up there on its pedestal. <laughs> Alice's explored monster fucker books in a way I uh, didn't expect as someone. Yes. I will say I'm probably very vanilla because I'm like werewolves and vampires. Yes. Are they're, they're, they're classified, There are right? tiers of right? monster fucker books. I'm a beginner. For sure. You're, you're don't, in like don't the... Don't know if I'll get farther than that because right now I'm... Ha I'm I'm explore Allison gave me the first book and I got to chapter 12 and I'm just like, uh, oh, I, hmm, I'm taking each book, sorry, each chapter, I needed like a pause between the next one because I'm yes. like, I gotta think about this. For, for a gentler trip into <laughs> this genre, uh, Katie Roberts has a series called like the Demon's bargain i believe okay. series where you get like a bunch of different um women sell their soul to a demon and get sold to a to live seven years with some sort of monster there's like a dragon there's a kraken there's a, a, cra what? a kraken it's fine what <laughs> he's a sweetheart okay <laughs> don't <laughs> i'm not judging the personality i'm just having a <laughs> There's so there's a dragon. Okay. There's a, there's a kraken. Okay. <laughs> there's a gargoyle. Okay. Uh, and then the next one is gonna be a succubus, and then they're gonna finally do like the actual like demon one. Okay. Um, so very like those ones are a little bit more on like the early steps. Like this is like a later, <laughs> this is like a hardcore. Also, I'm not like, even at an early one. step. I, I who like werewolves. I who like werewolves and vampires. <laughs> I'm not even on like <laughs> step one. <laughs> I don't think I can ever get. 
because the steps go like you have you have your like human ones so you have like your monsters and your werewolves and then you have your like human most of the time ones okay which like werewolves kind of fall into it it depends on if there is ever some like happy fun times as one of my favorite tiktok creators calls it um if there's ever happy fun times (laughs) while he is in werewolf in werewolf form and then that's kind of Uh, your next step where there's where there's some other stuff that goes on and then there's like the steps after that where they're not like where they have monstrous parts to them right like like the dragon guy in that like in the in the demon bride series um he's got two dicks that's his monster part (laughs) is he's got two dicks and retractable claws so (laughs) shit like that is he is he reptile all the time Yes, he is. He is like a he's he's like a scaly lizard man. <laughs> like 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 he's got like big jaws and he's got a tail and he's got like a hidden a hidden junk. Does it monster, come out like monster in, porn has a lot of hidden junk in it? Does it come out like in the what's that? Movie? Yes, what's that? Yes, in like the fish, shape of water. Shape of water. That description is very common. Oh, that that is a God. very monster fucker romance movie. If I've ever seen one. But yeah, so there's like, there's layers. And then you get to stuff like the Duskwalker Brides where there's, there's very little, there's very little that connects this creature to being a man, except for the fact that he walks on two legs and has two arms. (laughs) And that's kind of where it ends. (laughs) But they are also the sweetest boys and they're just so nice and they just love their brides so much. And they are absolute sweethearts okay. <laughs> who, have, okay. who have more humanity in their pinky finger than the actual <laughs> humanity in these books um, because humankind in these books are trash <laughs> um, the world building of these of these books is what really allowed me to enjoy them so much is because yes like I love I love the romance and the sex part of these books but at the end of the day I will not buy those if, if like I will read I've read some of them where like that's kind of all it is is like a is fluffy romance and sex and it's like but I won't buy those books I won't reread them these ones I have a desire to reread them I want to find out things that I maybe missed the first time parts of the lore parts of like the world and it's captured my like curiosity I want to learn more about the world and I want to learn more about it through these people that we get to know okay um for a a taste of Opal Rain's writing style that is a little bit easier as well. She does have a pirate duology called The Sea of Roses and Storms of Pain that I highly recommend. I read it. Pirates. It's fucking amazing. Yeah, it's it's really good. And then I haven't read her Witch Slayer series yet, but that's a new sl- series that she just started with like witches and dragon shifters She's and stuff like that. right? It, it kind of seems like that. It seems like it sort of started small. I think she might have like a, a small publishing company now. She's Australian. I didn't do like a super ton of research into her because I really just watch her TikToks and follow her <laughs> Twitter and read her books. Don't hold me to a lot of this information. From what I can tell, she's driven to like to do these kind of mostly mm-hmm. on her own. But okay. now she's becoming more popular and tons of people are finding them and... Yeah, I just with want popularity to comes <laughs> with popularity you need comes, support. Uh, comes money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And unfortunately, yep. money makes the world go round. Um, and <laughs> I'm happy that she's going to be making more money. <laughs> you're like you're like um, that means more books. Yes, because you it can means live off life. <laughs> more books. As I mentioned, I'm going to keep keep some of the story intentionally vague, so that I don't ruin too much. But there is so much 
there. So I, I just can't get into it all. The first book's um, pretty thick. Yeah, yeah. They're thick, but I find them quite quick reading. Now I'm going to do a bit of a world overview. So these stories take place in an alternate world sort of setting. It is as if the Industrial Revolution was stunted by the sudden arrival of demons. There were cities and things like mines that would have eventually become electricity. Like they were kind of on that cusp of the next step of humanity. But then that all had to stop when a portal opened up and the demons were let into the world. Is the portal the veil? Is the portal the... is in the center okay. of the veil. I'm, kind, I'm, I'm almost... I'm reading. <laughs> Getting a little bit of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so a place known as the veil was formed around this portal. It is a large forest full of darkness and monsters where humans do not go. Beyond the veil, demons can roam at night and hide in the darkness. And they also smell fear and eat humans. So you can see how that would stop people from things like mining or like forestry or really like anything that involves being beyond city walls at night. Um, the more humans, creatures like demons eat, the more humanity they gain. And so there's like tiers of demons, depending on how many people they've eaten, they can get more intelligent as they eat more people. <laughs> very, what a concept. Very fun. <laughs> Because of this, many humans receded to large-walled cities and stayed away from dark places like mines and forests. Within the Vale, there are also there also live creatures called Duskwalkers. They are born pretty much of darkness and hunger. So basically, they're beings that are always hungry. It is this hunger that begins to shape them as what they eventually become. As they eat, they develop a skull and like kind of like an, an amalgamation of the different animals that they eat. So, for example, the first guy that we're going to talk about, uh, the first couple, his name is Orpheus, and he has a wolf skull with antelope horns. And so he was eating mostly antelope. He also has a little antelope tail. That's so cute. Instead of having facial expressions, because, you know, their face is a, a skull. that It doesn't no change. Muscle, yeah. There's no muscle. And... Yeah, they don't they don't ever get a, a, a skin face. It's just it's what it is. <laughs> so instead of having facial expressions, they have eyes that are glowing orbs that change color depending on their emotions. I don't know if it's explicitly stated anywhere, but my theory is that their base eye color. So the color that it is when they're in like a neutral position sort of hints at their base emotion. Which we'll get into when we talk about the two different okay. guys. Um, okay. <laughs> because it's, yeah, I think that it's it's very much, I think it ties in a little bit. Like like I had said that there were hints on the cover of things that would kind of come to be mm -hmm, in these stories. Mm -hmm. And in the name, I think that that's another kind of foreshadowing tactic. Okay. And their bones also kind of start out on the outside of their body. And as they eat more, sink inward. And so some have like more visible things like rib cages and knuckle bones. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> it's okay. Just get on board. <laughs> Just get on board. Just get on this wagon. Um, and it's all these things beneath like their furry, their furry skin. Cause a lot of times they develop fur and stuff as well. As I mentioned for very good um, art slash also not safe for work art where you can find out what their 
package what they look looks like. like. <laughs> oh, the pack. Oh, yes, okay. you you are able to see what it is that she describes in the books, because <laughs> um, she gets it made and shares it with all of us. <laughs> so same thing with the demons. They also gain more humanity by eating more humans. Um, that's also how they gain more intelligence and in general kind of start to learn those things. As the stories go on, the world building kind of just gets it gets better and broader. And that's, as I mentioned, a huge part of why I enjoy these stories so much. Sexy monsters only get you so far. <laughs> Characters and world building are what makes me want to come back to it like again and again. The thing that I love the most is that it never feels like pointless exposition. When she does talk about the world, it feels like it actually makes sense. And so you're really getting to learn about the world in the points of view of the characters that you're learning it from. And so it, it just, I find it makes it a more interesting way to learn about the world. Unlike some fantasy novels where they're just like, let's talk for three pages about a forest. And you're just like, God, this sucks. <laughs> um, so it's, it's a very, it's a very engaging way to learn about the world. So we're going to start with the first book, A Soul to Keep, where we're going to talk about Rhea. A little quick synopsis of the book. Orpheus is a dusk walker that is well known to towns nearby the Vale. He has a wolf skull with antelope horns. His orbs are usually blue, which in my opinion, I think lends to his proclivity for sadness. Oh. Um, he's quite a sad boy. <laughs> <laughs> the poor guy. He's, he's a little lonely too. Each year he visits a city in search of a companion in trade for creating this spell to protect that city from demons being able to get into it. Mm. He has developed enough humanity to feel loneliness and to long for companionship. Rhea ends up being one of these offerings and he chooses her of like the group that they had offered and brings her back to his cottage home within the veil. And then Things the home happen. description is very cute. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I like I like the home. When it's I got to that part and they're describing what the home looks like, I'm like, oh, it's a little it's cottage. A cool cottage. <laughs> How the fuck did it get here? <laughs> You'll find out. I'm not going to tell you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> because it brings up feelings. Ah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so kind of just in general about the story, I'm a huge sucker for like any forced proximity romance. They're like, oh, it's one of my favorite like romance tropes where like these two people like have to be together and then they find out that they want to be together. And it's just like, yes, <laughs> love it so much. It's a great trope. Um, also, for my for my toxic ladies out there who love a good toxic romance, anytime a, a main character gets sold, that's a fun way to start a romance <laughs> book. It happens more than you'd think. Fonda doesn't read as much romance as I do. <laughs> Which is surprising. <laughs> And so I'm going to get to share with her all of these lovely tropes that happen so commonly in romance. Um, especially when you start getting into like slightly darker romance, but I don't think I will ever talk about dark romance on here because y'all don't need to know what I read when it comes to dark romance. Oh, but here you're like, let me talk to you about... <laughs> There's a difference, okay? <laughs> okay, I believe you, I believe you. There's a difference between monster fuckery and, and dark, dark romance. romance? Okay. <laughs> it's a okay. big difference. Okay, if your eyes went wide. <laughs> Specifically, the trigger warning list is way bigger in dark romances. Noted. They are not for the faint of heart. <laughs> um, so yeah like obviously this book has both of those things it's kind of like right up my alley you throw in demons with a strong lead fem female character who's just like 
She's so willful, which I love so much. So Rhea was shunned by her town. That's sort of how how it came to be that she was offered up as this sacrifice. She was shunned by her town because when she was younger, demons attacked her home and killed her family, but she survived. So due to this, the villagers believed her to be cursed because somehow she survived. We end up kind of finding out that this is just because she's very good at controlling her fear. Mm. And if the demons can't smell your fear, that you can hide better. But this also makes it easier for her and Orpheus to like spend longer periods of time together because she can control her fear so much better. He also suffers from the same thing that demons do, where fear smells fucking delicious. And so, so her not being afraid of him allows him to actually like get to know her more, allows them to spend time together and form a relationship. <laughs> Since making so many hand gestures. So many hand gestures. (laughs) She is also really comfortable with strange and morbid things, which like automatically makes her feel more comfortable with Orpheus than she even did with humans. But when you consider the ways that humans treated her, which was essentially putting her in like a small little hut on the side of the road, never talking to her and treating her like absolute garbage, when all of a sudden there's just a, a big dusk walker there who's like I just want you to come live in my cottage and here's some dresses and I made you stuff please like me I have a garden I'll, I'll keep you safe do you, do you like gardening like it's easy to see why it is that she feels more comfortable with a literal monster than she does with humans that's a part of the like the monster fucker books that I've discovered is that it's it's very much metaphorical and you can dig into it so much if you want to Like, if you want to think more on the concept of it, it's like, it's very much a way to look at humanity and be like, how is it that this person finds more comfort and care and love from a monster than they do from humans? Because humanity is the monster. (laughs) (laughs) Da-da! Da-da-da! But so there's, there's, there's a lot of, like, metaphorical stuff that you can dig into if you want to. I do sometimes. It's really fun to think about. If anybody else reads these books and wants to talk about it, our DMs are there. <laughs> I will talk to you. <laughs> so, so I wrote, um, we're not here to do an academic deep dive into the psychology behind monster fucking, but there will be some shallow dips uh, to get the wheels of your brains turning every once in a while. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Rhea herself is a complex and emotional woman. She often wears her emotions on her sleeve and isn't afraid to speak her mind, but she is prone to running away from her feelings, quite literally trying to run away from her feelings because like, yeah, she was essentially gifted to this Duskwalker. And even though she's in the middle of the veil, a forest full of demons and stuff, she's lived her entire life trapped and all she wants to do is run away. And so there's a really interesting storyline through this that like covers the concept of like feeling trapped and wanting your freedom, but then finding love, but still feeling trapped. And you're like, I'm happy, but also I'm stuck here and I don't have a choice. And the the concept of choice and of all of those things kind of comes into play in this story. And we get to be there for her as she struggles through having these feelings and deciding what it is that she wants in this world and with her life and her opportunity for freedom. It's Orpheus. Duh. 
that's how these books work. (laughs) 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 But also in being able to get all of the other things. Because, like, happily ever after. That means that our characters don't have to... Your main character doesn't necessarily have to sacrifice what it is that they want. They find a way to get everything that they want. And getting to enjoy that story along the way is so satisfying and so comforting to know like it's like okay no matter what kind of shit they're going through and they go through a lot of shit in this book (laughs) you know it's gonna be okay and so it's I find it for me easier to just put it down when I have to go to bed or like do things like that it's like I want to keep reading but also I'm not sitting there like anxiously (laughs) like what's gonna happen next it's like no everything's gonna be okay I am worried about what's gonna happen next but everything's gonna be okay and it's fine (laughs) so I can like talk myself down (laughs) (laughs) Her life as an outcast set up her ability to emphasize with Orpheus and to see him as not just a monster, but as a lonely soul who only wants companionship. He is almost a perfect gentleman. He's very close. Um, He is also still a monster who doesn't super understand boundaries, but they work through that and it's fine. He does whatever he can to make her feel comfortable and safe despite her attempts to escape because obviously, like, yeah, obviously she tries to escape. One of my favorite things about her is the way that we get to read her kind of inner dialogue. The fact that the book switches between points of view, we get to kind of witness her coming to terms with the fact that she thinks that this Duskwalker is hot. And it's so good because it just, it feels so like honest to like her experiences. And then you as the reader can really kind of like, you get on board, right? You can kind of understand what it is that she's feeling towards this creature who's treating her better than anyone ever has before as mentioned she has a bit of a morbid sense of humor the things that highlight one of these is we get to see a moment in the books where she's enjoying eating hot soup out on the porch while demons are bouncing off the magical barriers and like hurting themselves trying to get to her to eat her but she's just like eating soup and like laughing at them hurting themselves and it's just like she's so twisted and amazing and i love it because <laughs> she's just like yeah just sitting there eating her soup on her lovely cottage porch just the the that's juxtaposition her that's, that's her, her entertainment, entertainment. <laughs> she's like yes at 5 p.m i will go out with my daily dinner i sit on my porch and i watch all these dingus animals <laughs> these goofballs with no brains yeah try and eat me <laughs> she also is like extremely as i mentioned extremely willful she Mm -hmm. starts to learn to fight with a sword because she wants to protect herself she doesn't just want to have to hide in this little cottage behind the barriers and allow orpheus to keep her safe like she wants to fight herself and much to orpheus's credit he finds ways to teach her that so he like gives her a sword and she learns to fight and he helps her by like sparring with her (laughs) and it's so cute (laughs) She definitely judges herself quite regularly through the book uh, for these carnal urges she begins to develop for the for the Duskwalker. One of the inner dialogue moments that made me like laugh, like actually out loud um, was in quotes. Uh, She calls herself a good for nothing pervert who wants to fuck a big, hot, sexy bonehead. That's the kind of inner dialogue we're talking about. Nice. <laughs> when, nice. She's, when she's hard judging herself <laughs> for the things that she's feeling. Because <laughs> now we get to a little bit of that like shallow dip, a little bit of the analytical side of Allison's brain. I have found in 
many of the monster romance books that I have read this kind of common theme one of casting off the ideas of vilifying female sexuality and female sexual desire. Rhea tries to to deny her desires, her wants and her needs because society would look down on her for being attracted to a monster. It reads to me as a pretty direct metaphor for a woman's sexual desire being considered wrong or monstrous and unnatural. So it's like this giant metaphor (laughs) for like all of that. But in these books, having the love interest be a literal monster takes away any reason for that shame or the idea that you're wrong for wanting that because all this big sexy monster with a skull for a face massive fangs and a very long tongue (laughs) wants to do is to pleasure you and love you and protect you for like for everything that you are in all your broken self and your self-conscious feelings the monsters love these women for exactly who they are in all of their flaws in all of their complications they're just they're just so supportive they're such good boys <laughs> and i'm saying that about a seven foot two monster time, I know. with a skull for a face i he's know such and a good boy it makes it a little hard for me too because it's very animalistic so when you're calling this thing a good boy i just think of you looking at dutch and be like who's a good boy oh and it's <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I do not think that way. <laughs> I know, I know. But I'm just saying, when I hear it, I'm also like, just the tone sounds the same as the tone, mm. but the different meaning. And my brain's just like... I think of it very much like that cinnamon roll meme, where it's like, is a cinnamon roll, but will it kill you? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's, yeah. Nice, that's them. Nice, nice. That's a good, uh-huh. I like, that's a good meme. <laughs> Yeah, and of course, as with all of Allison's toxic trait in men, there is something about being the one thing that a creature wants to care about and will do anything for and doesn't give a shit about anybody else. That's that's my thing. I like it. Allison's like, I am in this. I will admit to that. <laughs> and yeah, like as you start kind of figuring out what the changing eye colors mean it gets to be so cute the female main characters often take a little bit longer to figure out what the the code (laughs) than you kind of as the readers do Mm -hmm. which i think because like yeah the the concept of like color theory and all of that is a little bit more a little bit more like known probably to us than it would be to somebody in this world like green as envy or jealousy those kinds of things blue Mm -hmm. is sadness yellow is happiness that kind of stuff red is anger pink is love (laughs) i don't think that is that the pink color being love is a spoiler because it's pretty fucking obvious when you see that they turn pink for the first time (laughs) something i loved in these books was how raya kind of clung to the idea of still escaping for so long Mm -hmm. she couldn't come to terms with the idea of staying because this was not the future she had imagined for herself she had wanted to become a demon hunter and adventure and see the world and she felt trapped but also loved and you getting to explore that that complexity and that uncertainty was really was really fascinating one of my favorite times in the book was when she when she got her period um because well she's bleeding you know demons smell blood and want to eat you and so when that started happening orvius literally ran out of his own damn house and just like sat outside (laughs) and whenever she tried to like go and talk to to him he like yelled at her to get inside (laughs) it was just so cute (laughs) 
and he just wants to protect her and keep her safe. And then she's pissed, though, because now she's stuck inside, and she's like, these three days suck, they're the fucking worst. And she's just, like, complaining the whole time. Aww. I was like, I understand that. I, just, I know that feeling. <laughs> like, periods suck. Um, there is something so simultaneously pure and yet tainted about Rhea. The, the cruelty shown to her by humanity could have broken her. It made her wary of humans and yet open to Orpheus. She showed kindness and understanding and her, stubborn, her stubbornness clashed against his, but also complimented it. And there's like one moment when he took her to the demon city, which is closer to the portal, where more intelligent demons exist. Oh. There is a little bookshop that she ends up going into where she meets this kind of cat-faced demon who loves humans because he loves books and he's read all their stories. Mm-hmm. And she starts making facial expressions for him because he's reading these books and he doesn't understand like what it means by like, oh, her face lit up with a smile and stuff like that. And so he's asking her to make these make these faces and she's making these faces for him. And it's like the purest, <laughs> like sweetest <laughs> connection and it's just it's just so cute and you see that like that tender kindness that is still somehow living despite all of the cruelty that she experienced mm-hmm. and it's just so sweet she's also brave as hell and an absolute force to be reckoned with which we will not get into but just trust me she is <laughs> okay. holy shit you do not want to piss off Rhea. <laughs> um so one of my favorite parts in the book <laughs> Because I would uh, be remiss to not mention this uh, because it had me like, like internally screaming. (laughs) I'm pretty sure I've told a lot of when I'm explaining this book and what to expect to people, I often bring up this sort of exchange (laughs) in in order to help hide her smell. Okay. There is a spell that Orpheus can cast on her, but he has to use his hands to rub an oil all over her body. Yes. 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 Um, so sexy bath time has to happen twice a day if he uses the gloves to kind of hide his like knuckle bones and stuff because you kind of learn that over his time he's taken multiple people and he's lost them in varying ways, but he's found ways to make humans more comfortable around him. And then he discovers that a lot of these things are unnecessary with Rhea because she's actually like super chill about the fact that he has bones on the outside of his body (laughs) because she's just badass like that. So if he doesn't wear the gloves, it only has to happen once a day. So it is during these sexy bath times that we get a lot of like that good internal monologue when she's like judging herself. And like, he's also like, no, I'm not allowed to feel these things. She doesn't like me that way. <laughs> and it's very cute. The, the internal monologue during bath time is like one of my favorites. <laughs> <laughs> At one point, she asks about Orpheus's genitalia. <laughs> and if it had, like, if it looks anything like a human's. And he leans in and says, not, period, at, period, all, <laughs> period. And that is accurate. It does not. When you do get the description, it is not at all. That is, it is not human. Yeah, like, I just, like, I was just, like, screaming. And then, like, her reaction to that was amazing. She's just like, oh, my God. But then she's also curious. And she's like, what does he mean? I don't understand. (laughs) And it's just, like, even some of, like, the sexual moments still have this, like, this, like, sweet sense of humor and, like, 
it's not like super intense like <laughs> like passionate like all this stuff it's like i love the fact that it's there are varying degrees and there are differences in there in the intimate moments together in the books for anybody who's curious and a warning for anybody who wants to read these if you're not about not human looking stuff it's very plant like and it's very big what <laughs> there are tendrils <laughs> And um, a literal magic spell has to happen for it to, like, fit. <laughs> but it's fine. <laughs> that's the situation. If you're not into that, I... That's, that's not what I seek out. Like, I wouldn't even necessarily consider that, like... <laughs> a plus. If that's your thing and that is what you're looking for, I would suggest these books. Um, I do mostly suggest them for the for the rest of the vibes. <laughs> but I think I killed Fonda. <laughs> it's definitely a situation. <laughs> A spell. They do magic. The Duskwalkers are magic. Know, but <laughs> it's a thing. Later on, he has to figure out how to make sure that she doesn't get pregnant for reasons. <laughs> what? <laughs> which is also a magic spell, which I would take a magic no get pregnant spell over all of the bullshit that I have to deal with any day of my life. That concept is amazing. <laughs> I want a magic spell. <laughs> <laughs> so i'm not gonna get into it uh into the how and why of when it happens but at some point Rhea does give orpheus her soul okay this kind of that's sort of the concept of the books is the dusk walkers kind of are in are seeking a soul so this this happens and then he gets this cute little like fire version of her it's like her little silhouette between his horns and so if you do see any of the art and there's like a little flame person up in the middle, that's because they have their soul. Okay. Um, and now they are connected. And it's really sweet because she actually made him like little like horn jewelry. So she made him like cute little bells that hang between his horns. And then the little, <laughs> the little version of Rhea sits up between his horns and it's like all fiery, like her spirit. Um, and it's just so cute. <laughs> and he's so proud of his little like... His little horn his accoutrements, his adornments, uh. <laughs> and um, yeah, y'all. Those those little charms are just there's there's so much like meaning to those charms because for a long time he was taking people, and he was just trying to like he wasn't trying to have a sexual relationship with the people that he brought in. Um, he just wanted companionship, and then Rhea was the first one to kind of actually start talking to him and to start treating him like a person and not just some crazy monster from the woods. Um, and so she made him something and nobody has ever made him anything before in his entire life. And it's just like, she made him these, this little charm out of beads <laughs> and bells. And it's so cute. And I love it so much because he loves it. Um, and so, yeah, that's like, I love Rhea. She's just, she's such an interesting character and so awesome and badass. <laughs> So now we're going to talk about Dolora from A Soul to Heal. So 
before I give a quick synopsis, I want to read the book dedication from this book to everybody because it like, uh, I it's felt a good. It. It's a good. It's, it's good. It's a goodie. So to all the depressed monster fuckers out there, this book is for you. Sometimes we just need a big bad monster to come along and remind us that life is worth living. It helps when they are scary enough to chase away our nightmares and naughty enough to tease us with their cock. <laughs> This book is also for my fellow plus size babes. We deserve love too. And my dusk walkers don't discriminate. They love us all, even the soft and squishy. So, so cute. So yes, this book touches on a lot of very heavy topics that may not be for all readers um, or even for listeners. So check the content warnings before you read the books. And I'm going to give a warning right now that this is the part where there will be discussions of depression, suicidal ideations, postpartum, and fat phobia and other mental health problems all dealt with within this book. <clears throat> so Dolora is sentenced to basically death by being thrown into the veil after she killed her cheating husband and his lover. She ends up landing on Nameless, a duskwalker with a fox skull and deer antlers. And he has okay. a full like foxtail. It's fluffy and adorable. Um, and he in general is super innocent and sweet. And he has green eyes. We met him in the first book and he doesn't have a name because Orpheus was given a name by somebody else, as have most of these oh. Duskwalkers. So for at the beginning, he is called just Nameless. We follow them as Nameless learns more about humanity and Dolora learns how to live with her depression and how to overcome her negative feelings in order to find her own happiness. I think that Nameless's eyes are green because he he saw what Orpheus had with Rhea and he was like he was envious of that he wanted more and he seeks more knowledge because he still hasn't quite eaten enough people to be fully like so he's like young there he's kind of he's like young for a dusk walker as it were I think that that kind of naivety and that innocence to him is what actually allowed Dolora to trust him because from the short synopsis I you can guess Dolora has a lot of trust issues she has suffered from depression issues her husband was abusive and would often blame her for her inability to have children um and things like that because they could never have kids and then when she got depressed she started eating more and so she gained weight and when they had originally gotten married she was thinner and so then there was like a lot of fat phobia in the past and so she's dealing with a lot of a lot of those feelings and so having nameless be so just kind and good and like not judgmental not judgmental was really what kind of cemented her ability to trust him mm-hmm. there's another character that we might talk about at some point because there's going to be multiple episodes on these um because <laughs> why not <laughs> Um, there's Part a character one. called the Owl Witch. Well, I'll probably save talking about the Owl Witch until actually all the books are out because we're just slowly learning about her throughout these. We ended up finding out that she's kind of the mother of Duskwalkers and she's super intriguing as a character and okay. I love her so much. But she ensured that when Dolora was tossed into the veil, she literally landed on top of Nameless. Oh. <laughs> Who... Each Duskwalker kind of has, it's alluded that they have sort of more specialty skills as okay. far as their magic goes. Like there's, there's a certain kind of magic that they're particularly good at. Nameless is his, is his healing power. 
And so she was physically broken. She did fall from a cliff. Um, but he is able to heal her body by taking on her damage. And so he did that to kind of save her. And he took her into his little, like, his home and he nursed her back to health. Does he also have a cottage? He does not have a cottage. Okay. Yet. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> he, in talking to Orpheus, has begun the process of building a cottage. Okay. Because he wants a bride. And okay. so Orpheus is like, in order to have a bride, you have to give her a house. <laughs> you need a place for them to live. They cannot live in a cave. <laughs> Nameless is just like, okay, <laughs> I'll build her a house. And I'm just like, yes, he's so cute. <laughs> um, so he's in the process of building a cottage. Um, but yeah, so he ends up healing her, but then she's depressed. She thought she was going to die. And then at one point, I think she calls him like an angel because it's like she asks if he's an angel when he's like healing her because he's kind of hiding what he looks like from her Aww. while he's keeping her in the cave to like heal because she's she doesn't want to get out of this bed nest that he's made for her, which is a very common thing. Yeah. And so he brings her food and he gets her water and he just like he cares about her. And then she tries to explain depression, her sadness and he tries to heal that for her. Like he tries to take that on. And then she eventually has to kind of teach him that it's not something that he can heal like a broken bone or like bruises. It's different. Mm -hmm. And thus the name, a soul to heal. <laughs> Get it? <laughs> like his innocence and the misunderstanding kind of leads to a lot of this as well. So they have to end up having a lot of discussions about things, but then he kind of just asks for her soul because he doesn't know the importance of getting mm -hmm. the souls. And she doesn't care about it. And so she just gives it to him. Because she doesn't care about herself. She doesn't care about her own life. And so she just gives him her soul. And then when it's up above his horns, it's dark. And there's no fire. And there's like small little cracks where you can kind of see the warmth inside. So it's almost like coal. Mm. And it's like the, her soul itself is dying. And it's just like this beautiful metaphor for, yeah, like depression and all of that. And it's wonderful to see that. And he's just like, like, I want to fix it kind of thing. And to see his just his earnestness and his understanding and his ability to be patient with her and her feelings is so nice and so beautiful. <laughs> Having a main character who is not only fat, but also struggles with mental health issues was an incredible thing that was also kind of like, I'd say almost brave to write about, to choose to input something so difficult and complex into mm -hmm. a romance novel and to do it in a way that it, it doesn't take away from like the romance or the story or the things that are happening. And it's just, it's a thing that is, and to not treat it as some sort of like barrier or like something horrible. It's just, mm -hmm. it's a part of who she is. And it was just such an empathetic and wonderful way to have it written about. And it didn't cause me any feelings. I understand for some, it might have been difficult. It might be difficult to read this book if you suffer from similar things to that. Um, but I found it to be a very like cathartic and emotional read while also enjoying it. <laughs> Her nature is counterbalanced beautifully by Nameless, who has seemingly endless curiosity and a desire to care for her and to keep her safe in a way no one else ever had. 
when she does learn what giving him her soul means, she realizes that means that she can't die. Like by giving them their soul, you become this thing called a phantom where you always return to the Duskwalker who has your soul. And she feels numb to this realization because she wants to die, but being unable to die for all eternity is somehow what she thinks that she deserves for having killed her husband and his lover. She's like, well, yeah, like this, this makes sense because she wants to die, but she can't bring herself to kill herself. And there's like, there's so many complex emotions that are explored throughout her story. Um, but she, yeah, she feels like this is just what she deserves. Caring about anything just feels like too much effort. As they spend more time together, her soul does slowly begin to brighten and she eventually gives him the name of Magnar, which means protector because he keeps her safe. Magnar. So, he's, so Nameless is now Magnar. When Dolora eventually does meet Rhea and Orpheus, we get to see another facet of this character that I think just adds to her depth. And it also is something that I immediately understand and connect with, which is her self-consciousness and her jealousy. So she sees the easy way that Rhea and Magnar are around each other because Rhea kind of treats him like like a friend or like a brother. And immediately Dolores is jealous because of her past, right? She's like, well, obviously this like beautiful, powerful woman with a sword who's super comfortable and chill living in the veil. And like, acting just, like it's no big acting deal. Acting like it's no big deal. And she's here and it's seeing her kind of have to try and experience that and trying to like work through that is really, yeah, I really enjoyed that because Rhea also has her own misgivings about Mm -hmm. people in general, humans in general. And so then there's also that sort of disconnect, but we do get to see sort of a friendship forming, which I really enjoyed. So they do eventually kind of work through their stuff throughout the book and you can kind of see that they're, they're family, right? Like these, the, the Duskwalkers are all brothers. They're all, together and it's very sweet seeing them eventually like work through those things but also having it be a very there's not necessarily animosity there but there's mistrust and there's Mm -hmm. like judgment but it's not just because they're women it's because of their life experiences and then to see them work through that is awesome (laughs) there's also some really sweet like conversations of consent and understanding Ah! in this book when there's conversations of consent with because stuff. Magnar doesn't understand <laughs> what those things are like intimacy and stuff like that and so she explains what touches are appropriate for when and like all this kind of stuff and so there's a lot of really interesting and sweet conversations about what's what's inappropriate what's not and what he has to ask for and stuff mm-hmm. like that and it's so <sighs> I love stuff like that where <laughs> they're just like let's talk <laughs> Um, one of the really sweet moments is after the first time that they have sex, she sort of breaks down crying um, <laughs> because much to the confusion of poor Magnar, who doesn't understand. He's like, this is amazing. What are you talking about? And she's just crying because she never thought she would be desired and wanted and loved. Mm. And to have him like, essentially worship her body that she has been made to feel ashamed of mm-hmm. is soul shattering for her. And it's extremely emotional. And I understand, like I understand that intrinsically having these, having these moments as like a fat person myself, it's, 
oh, I'm just so happy that he's there. <laughs> I was like, I get those feelings. <laughs> and I understand it. And now it's in writing from somebody who also understands it. And it's just, it feels nice to be able to read that and have something like that be beautiful. Yeah, it's different when it's like, even if it, you're within a community and like, you know, other people are talking about it and you're like, no, we acknowledge these things. I feel like it's very different when something's in print for wider audiences mm -hmm. instead of something being talked about within a community or someone writing a fanfic or someone doing like smaller works where it's like this is specifically for myself and other people that need it versus it's this author opal who's just like hey yes this is for us but also i'm making it published for anybody to read within yeah. this series that likes my work and you're going to experience what a lot of people might be struggling with and need yeah so yeah because a lot of a lot of main characters and a lot of romance are petite small like all of those things that it's like and don't get me wrong i read a lot of romance where that's that is the main character. Like, that's just what a lot of it is. So you kind of just come to accept that as being what it is. And so then you don't realize when you do get something where they are different in, like, good ways that you're just like, oh, like, <laughs> I didn't, you're like, I didn't know how much I wanted this <laughs> yeah. until I got it. And it just adds on to why it is that I enjoy this character so much because Delora is so complex. Mm -hmm. And there's so much to her that I just... I love it so much. <laughs> and I really enjoyed the difference between the relationships as well. So it's not just the difference between the main female, like the main characters. There's the difference between how it is that they interact with each other. Cause we have like Orpheus and Rhea are shown to have fallen into this easy sort of comfort around one another. They, they get Rhea adapted so quickly and so well to this new life of hers. While we have Magnar and Delora who are still having to learn about, each other together and also each other apart and then they're having to learn how to be a couple together and this is only made more complicated when Delora gets pregnant because she becomes a phantom quite early which didn't happen in the first book but once they're phantom they can get pregnant when they're human they can't okay um, okay. I, okay. That's how Duskwalker babies work okay <laughs> um, and so now we get, and I needed to bring this plot point up because this is where we get into the, the stuff when it comes to like postpartum depression. Mm -hmm. So she has a monster baby that like very quick pregnancy. And then she has this baby that's born that is nothing but darkness and hunger. And it ends up biting her after, cause she's afraid and there's blood and stuff like that. And it ends up biting her. So then she is afraid of her child and because of that fear, the child automatically attacks. Mm -hmm. And so it's this like very direct <laughs> metaphor for like that disconnect in postpartum and not being able to connect with her child because it's trying to attack her, but also it's attacking her because she she's doesn't, afraid. she's afraid of it. And so it's this yeah. complex thing. And then like Magnar, it takes, it's such a good dad and he takes <laughs> such good care of the baby <laughs> and he just cares for it. And then one of the one of the big arguments that they end up having is at night Magnar while she's sleeping will bring the baby in and let it lay next to her because it wants its mom but because like when she's awake she's automatically afraid of it 
But then she finds out about this and then she's like, you put me in danger and all of this stuff because then all of those conversations about consent come in. And so it all ties together Mm -hmm. because she's like, by doing that, you are taking away my choice. And he's like, fuck. And Magnar is just so sweet. And so they have this sort of this situation where they have to try and deal with the child and also deal with each other and her mental health. And he has to learn to understand and it's just so much communication and so much like solid love and understanding all going around in this big swirl. And it's like, I've never read a romance novel quite like all of the things that she tackles in this book. And it's beautiful the whole way through. <laughs> Eventually she does connect with the child and they name it Fyodor, which is so cute. They call it a they because until the gender of Duskwalkers is decided on how many humans they, on the humans, uh, kind of the same way that they form the skull, you get. Okay. The, the fact that most like demon hunters and most people who are venturing beyond the city walls are men kind of lends itself to having most of the Duskwalkers be male. But that is a possibility <laughs> that in the future we will get a female Duskwalker, which I think would be super cool. <laughs> After this whole kind of situation, Magnar realizes that he needs to eat more humans because he's kind of reached his maximum potential for understanding. He can't grow anymore, but he needs to in order to be the partner that Delora needs. But she's terrified because of her self-consciousness that if he gets smarter, he won't love her anymore. Oh. <laughs> and it's... Fuck. <laughs> it's fucking heartbreaking. Oh, shit. That hits a spot. Damn. Damn. And like, Damn. The feels in this book are so... <laughs> There's, it's so much, and it's so good. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> It's just, yeah, it's, it's just so much. And so they have to work through all of that. And then kind of Dolores big, um, her big like character growth, which I really appreciate. So this is a spoiler. So if you don't want to be spoiled for this part, you can skip ahead, but I don't think it super spoils it. A situation arises where she has to protect, it has to be her turn to protect Magnar and Fyodor. And she does. And this ends up resulting in a lot of pain in a very painful death for her, because even though you're a phantom and you can't die, your body can still be hurt and affected. You just come back again. Oh, okay. And can re-solidify yourself. But she has to stay solid in order to save them. And so she has to choose to do this thing that she's throughout the book. She's been dealing with depression and thoughts of suicide and wanting to die. Mm -hmm. And so now she has to face a painful death in order to protect the people that she loves. And she comes out of it stronger and realizing that she is capable and that she wants to live and she wants to get back to her family and the people who support her. And it doesn't like, it doesn't fix everything, which is the best part is that it doesn't, she's not all of a sudden better Mm -hmm. because of this experience, but this experience has given her the strength in herself that she needed Mm -hmm. and not just the strength that she gets from Magnar because he does support her and he does do all of those things. But at the end of the day, when dealing with like depression and mental health, something has to come from yourself. Yeah. And that was her sort of turning point. And it was f- holy shit. I fucking love Dolores book. It's so good. <laughs> like It's so good. And I understand that like a book that touches on these, like these very like heavy 
and difficult topics can be difficult for some people to read. But for Mm -hmm. me, it was just so, it was so beautiful. And it all just added to this really honest and understanding and like empathetic look at being in a relationship with somebody who suffers from mental health problems and just coming at it from a point of like love and understanding and support. And they're just so like good together. And he's just (laughs) so sweet to her and just so caring and understanding and patient. And then he like, cause she snaps at him sometimes and she like, she tries to shut him out and she does all of these things, which are just trying to protect herself. And he's still just there for her and he doesn't take it personally and he just supports her and loves her. And then her little flame gets better. And then sometimes it kind of, sometimes it dulls and sometimes it brightens, but it's all just a part of who she is. And it's like, there's no easy fix. Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of stories, it's like, oh, well, it's, she's better now. Yeah. And that's not how this book ends. This book doesn't end being like, oh, she's all better. It's like, no, she's found a way to live with everything that is her. And she's found somebody who loves her for everything that is her. And it's just so cute. To wrap up why I love Delora, I will read another quote from the book. This one's spoken by Magnar. You were broken and in need of healing, but that did not make you any less beautiful or worth caring for. I started to love you when you were sad, but it has only grown deeper with every smile you have gifted me. And I'm just like, (laughs) he's just so (laughs) like... (laughs) Allison's like, I'm feeling emotion. Uh, it's the feelings. It's just so, yeah, like having a books, this is, these are all of the reasons why everything that we talk about in so many of other episodes where we discuss how much representation matters. Mm-hmm. And it's books like this. It's series and shows that explore these different facets of characters and humanity that it's just like, here you go. It's like, it's also a book with the, with a big monster in it, with a fox face and a fluffy tail, fucks the shit out of her. <laughs> but he also loves her so much. <laughs> and he, like, supports her emotional growth. <laughs> and he makes sure to, like, put her needs <laughs> above his own. <laughs> and he's so sweet. <laughs> and he does this thing a lot where he gets nervous and he scratches his nose and he, like, puts his hand up there and he's just like... Mm. And he, like, gets embarrassed a lot, so he'll cover up his his eyes so that you can't see them change color. Oh, that's funny. That's funny. And, yeah, he's... He's so sweet. <laughs> Magnar's awesome. Who do you prefer more, Magnar or Orpheus? Uh, Orpheus... For me, personally, I prefer Orpheus, because I, I love a sad boy. Oh, my <laughs> I also, uh, that's just Allison's toxic taste in men. Uh, 101, I love a sad boy who uh, gets angry sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> and is also like, like super possessive. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, so like Delora very much was like, was the main character that I connected with the most mm-hmm. because because of all the, the, the connections that I had to her. But yeah, like I do, I do love Orpheus. Um, the next time that we record, because I'm going to read the next book when that comes out next month. And then I'm going to do the next two books. And we're going to talk about Mayumi from A Soul to Touch. And I don't know the, the character's name from A Soul to Guide, but uh, I'm very excited. So <laughs> the next one's name is Kitty and he is 
I love Kitty. He's so good. <laughs> Kitty? Kitty is 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 what his name starts out with at the beginning. Is Kitty. Oh, okay. And there are very cute reasons why. His name okay. is Kitty. <laughs> okay. And he also has a cat face. His skull is a cat skull with ram horns. Okay. And it looks like the next one is I think it's a bear skull with like bull horns. Um is the next one coming oh, up. Okay. Um also don't know his name, but it'll be interesting. <laughs> Um, and I'm very excited. There's also two twin Duskwalkers that are still, like, quite young. And they were, like, born at the same time. Who I think are going to be some of the later books. And then maybe we'll get one on Fyodor. Who knows? Um, I don't know. Hands up! <laughs> but who knows? Either way, this is not going to be the last time that we talk about these awesome <laughs> books. Because, like, yeah, she's just, she's such a good, she has such good stories. I will actually probably one day, once I buy them and reread them again, talk about the main character from the pirate one as well because okay. she's so cool <laughs> i love her so much um but yeah those are two female characters that i love so much um in a world that's just amazing and yeah i want more people to read these books <laughs> i'm one of them yes <laughs> i'm read. i am reading it i'm reading it i'm just trying to figure out where i stand on certain kinks and certain i don't know <laughs> i don't know <laughs> The world is very intriguing, though. Mm-hmm. I will agree. I will agree. When I got into the veil part, I was like, so it's slightly cooler in the summer, but slightly, like, nice temperature in the winter. Yes. Sounds like a place I want to live. Yes. The weather is milder because of the thick forests. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and we didn't even get touched on the Demon King. So that's what? a thing, too. Oh, boy. <laughs> There's so much owl, in this world. Owl person. Owl, and the Owl Witch. Owl and witch. the Demon King. And this thing called the Void, which is the Duskwalker's daddy. And that's all we... It's just called the Void. And it's a thing. Huh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Mommy Owl Witch and, and Daddy Void is <laughs> how the Duskwalkers were created. And it's a wild like the lore that she has come up with is I cannot wait to learn more because there's so much mystery. That's there's so much mystery. And a lot I can't of question wait. marks. So you. many question marks. <laughs> and yeah, the next time that I talk about it in the next book, I'm going to tell you all about how there's even more question marks because Mayumi is her story and the ways that it goes and the, the ideas that her story brings up are incredible because she's an ex demon hunter as a little like teaser oh. for you. So we get to learn more about the more about that side of the world. Oh, boysos. <laughs> so what are you excited about, Vonda? Well, I am actually... So uh, Dropout TV, if anyone's familiar with college humor, like a bunch of people from there migrated to this thing called Dropout, did a bunch of other stuff. They have a series called Make Some Noise. <laughs> and they're coming out with a new season soon, and I'm just really excited Anyone that's just likes comedy, if you're a fan of like Brennan Lee Mulligan, if you're a fan from anyone from College Humor, Erica Ishii is going to be on a few. Like yes. there's a bunch of wonderful people. And I just saw it. They came out with the trailer today and I was just watching it the whole time. And I was just like, man, I love I love a comedy series so much. And I really like Dropout. Um, if anyone wants to, I think there's a lot of, you can watch like a few free things on YouTube, but to, to, I can't do exact quoting, but to paraphrase, you know, when Netflix is all like, you can't share accounts, dropout made a statement that's like, you can share our accounts. (laughs) So if you can find anyone to 
let you use their dropout so you could watch yeah. make some noise i highly recommend it or it's, share if you got a tight budget yeah share z's uh-huh. yeah but it seems very fun and i'm super excited for it because i just i don't know i just they just make me giggle they just make me giggle That's and good. i feel like in life we need some more giggles lately <laughs> So that's what I'm excited for. As a is a dropout series called Make Some Noise. Nice. Yeah. You can find us, dear listeners, wherever podcasts can be found. Please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe if you haven't already. You can follow us on Tumblr, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at WenchBenchPod. And if you want to reach out, you can send us an email at WenchBenchPod at gmail.com. If you didn't hear Allison earlier, she said our DMs are open for you to talk to her about this series. Yes. <laughs> Hit her up. All the art for the WenchBench was designed by the wonderful Tessa Joyce Rican. You can find them on Twitter and Instagram at Wherevile. Thanks for listening and talk to you soon. The next one is going to be about the next two books. We know that for certain. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>